0: Colossians chapter 3 is where we'll be, and I want to begin by talking about proposals. Proposals. Those moments, that moment that some of you girls have thought of for a long time, the perfect day, the guy picks you up, you go to a scenic location, either in the mountains or at the beach, there are flowers distributed throughout the day. The food is great. And then at the most picturesque time, when your most picturesque friend suddenly emerges from behind the bushes, the proposal happens. One knee, photographed forever. Everyone's happy. You celebrate with your friends. It's, it's a big day. It's a big day that some of you have dreamed about. Ladies, I want you to imagine the proposal happens. Everyone's excited. It usually happens on a Saturday. So that the next day at church, everyone could see your ring, et cetera and you go to like your first premarital later that week, and it's exciting, and, uh, and, and the guy doing premarital will ask uh, the groom-to-be, man, why did you propose to her? And his response is, well, we've been dating for six months, and she's paid her dues. I've paid mine. I feel at this point I was kind of obligated to do so, so I went ahead and did that. Okay, wrong answer, right? <laughs> Marriage on the rocks to begin with. Because it's not just that you did the right thing, it's that you would have the right heart behind it. I say that because Christianity is a religion that's not just about doing the right thing. It's that you would be properly motivated, that you would have the right intentions, that your heart behind what you do would also be submitted to the Lord. I would ask you this morning in your life, what most motivates you? Think about that. Uh, What factor in your life is most influential on decisions about your time, your activities, your dress, your spending, your future plans? What is it that's shaping you what is the biggest motivating factor of your life right now perhaps it is a relationship or it is success and fame or it is money but whatever it is you need to be aware of what's motivating you because this passage this morning is going to be aimed at motivation it's not just asking what you do it's it's why you do what you do it's getting to the heart of that and if you've not taken time recently to ask, yeah, why am I making the decisions I'm making? Why am I with the friends I'm with, spending the time that I'm spending? Um, why am I investing in whatever I'm investing into? Today's passage will be a good check for you. It's Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. And this letter, he's telling them about what ought to motivate them Uh, And let's read through this together. Colossians chapter 3 says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. To summarize this letter letter to Colossians is the message that Jesus is enough, um, He's the only true religion, He's the only source of wisdom. He's the only place to forgiveness. You don't need anything beyond Christ. If you have Jesus, that is, if you've trusted in him, you have everything that you need. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul is beginning to explain then, here's what life looks like if you're saying, Jesus is all I need. Jesus is enough. And what he's telling us to do in this passage is to, there's two commands in these four verses we read, to seek the things above and to set your minds on the things above both have to do with the things above it's to seek and to set your minds on if if you're a believer your life is to be oriented bent towards eternity eternity is supposed to be in view it's in the back of your mind it's in the front of your mind what Paul is saying in this text is if you're a believer, you live towards your home. You're focused on where you're going next. You're fixated on in living life with the mind set on eternity. That's the motivation we have as believers. And so what I'm to ask this morning before I get into seeking and setting your mind is would you say that this passage is true of you? Do you see a focus, a fixation, a making of priorities based on eternity? Or do you never even think of life beyond the grave? As Christians, Jesus is our hope in life and death, but we often don't think about what comes after death. Let Paul remind you, in a world of sports and international turmoil and relationships, and the next big thing, let Paul remind all of us this morning where our focus is to be. He tells us two things in this passage. He tells us to, first it says, to seek. Seek the things that are above. Seek the things that have to do with eternity. Seek the things of heaven where Christ is, it says there in the passage. What what do these mean, seek? Well, let's think about that word, seek there. It is to pursue to strive after there's a a desperation when it comes to seeking so some of you are familiar with um in luke chapter 15 jesus tells this story of a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one of them and so what does she do she's feverishly sweeping all over the house looking for that coin right there's desperation in it there's effort being put into it so when jesus says or when paul here says seek the things above it's not this kind of cavalier seeking it's no, no. You you're really going after it. Um, another time that word "seek" is used, it's used of the Pharisees were seeking for an opportunity to put Jesus to death. Okay, when you're seeking to put someone to death, it's not usually like casually. It's not usually like eh all right, it's just not going to work out today. Maybe we'll murder him tomorrow, right? Like that's, that, that's not the way you talk about that. There's effort being put into it. And so what Paul here is saying is strive, pursue. If you're an athlete, sweat in your pursuit of seeking the things above. To so orient your life, your actions, that what you're stretching for in this life is the life to come. So seeking the things above has to do with acting in a way that you're clearly bent more on heaven than this life. The second, the second word there is to set your minds. So it's not just your actions, it's your thinking. To set your minds is to direct your thoughts, what you're consumed with, what you meditate on. What I like about this passage is it teaches us that the mind is not a, uh, it's not a doormat, okay, where I just, you know, whatever comes in, I need to let it into my head, but the mind is a muscle, right, that you can move, that you could pick up, that you could set on things, and what Paul tells you to do with your mind, with your thinking, is to set your thinking on eternity, on the things above, on the things with the life to come, and not just this life, that your thoughts and your dreams and your priorities would be shaped by heaven. What Paul is asking uh, you this morning is for you to consider where you're investing your efforts and your thoughts. Investing. Some of you are familiar with the way the stock market works. At least you, you see your parents checking the stock market app on their phone all the time there are certain products that you invest in and you only have a limited amount of money you can't uh, you don't have an infinite amount of money to throw in the stock market in the same way you only have a limited amount of time you only have a limited amount of thinking you could do per day only about you know 24 hours how do you invest it do you invest it christian in this life or in the life to come why is this even brought up? Like, why does Paul feel like he needs to ask you this morning, are you living for now or are you living for eternity? Because so often, I think you would know this, if you're a believer, you've seen this in your own heart, we find ourselves living for the things of this world, living for passive things. We are, are so fixated on things that have an end. I want you to, to keep our spot here in Colossians 3, Go to the right. Uh, let's go to 1 John. 1 John. We're in Colossians 3. We'll stay there. I got a little bookmark. You can bookmark it too. Or, or if you're, if you're going to get thrown off with the fingers turning pages, just look at your friends who's going to go to 1 John. You look onto their Bible. The First John warns us about this, that as believers, we can get so consumed with things that, that are not part of this world. 1 John 2:15 is where we are. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. If you want to leave another bookmark in 1 John, we'll, we'll come back to it later for something else. But 1 John chapter 2 John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. Okay? So this is not saying get mad at everything, smash iPhones, burn down restaurants, etc. That's not what this is saying. Uh, this, is, this is not a prohibition against shopping at Target. Uh, but what this is saying is do not be consumed with the things that are temporary, the things that belong to this world's system. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and what's all that's in the world? All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. Whatever does the will of God abides forever. What you find here, this this little quick description of the love of the world, all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are the things we see the world making ultimate. And those are the things we find ourselves often as Christians living in one of, if not the wealthiest country in history, We find ourselves making these things as ultimate. The lust of the flesh, that is uh, uh, carnal cravings, desires of the body, uh, desires for sexual pleasure, desires to satisfy the body with food, desires to satisfy the body with sleep. It's letting your body, and what would make your body feel best, be in charge. That's what the world lives for. The second, the, the lust of the eyes, that is treasures, possessions, right? Nice watches and nice clothes and nice shoes and remodeled kitchens and, and sweet cars. That's what the world is saying. It's, it's looking at those and saying that is ultimate. Or just the boastful pride of life. That ultimately what a lot of us really struggle with wanting most is other people to think about how important we are how special we are and how we're viewed in the others and those become ultimate we get fixated with those things even christians can sing on sunday morning and read their bible but what most dominates their life if they look at snippets of their schedule is i'm really loving the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the boastful pride of life Matthew chapter 6 we won't turn there now but Matthew chapter 6 Jesus actually warns us, do not store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Why does he say that? Again, believers need to be reminded, I'm not supposed to live for this world. My school, my sports, my job, my friends right now are not what's ultimate, but the next life is. And why not invest in those things? Why watch out for these things? What did First John say? He says those things... Are passing away at my house right now, I, I have a product that I'm going to try to sell you. This is offer up in real life. Here you go. Uh, big investment. Katie and I have two fat stacks, not of Benjamin's or anything like that, I wish. But we just have DVDs from the early 2000s up to about five years ago, just a bunch of them. Honey, what do we have? Probably like? 95 dvds i don't want to say 100 because i'd be embarrassed we have we have so many dvds and we know dvds are only increasing in value and usually they're probably about 40 dollars worth of dvd but i'd even be willing to sell you 20 per i'd give you the i'd give you the whole set for 1500 bucks any of you interested in that investment get out of here No, you're not some of them are good but no right because like, who uses dvds anymore like, investing in DVDs is like investing in MySpace. You know what I mean? Investing in fidget spinners. Like, those, they had their time. Now they're gone, right? It's passing away. It, was, it, was, it skyrocketed to the moon. And then now it's gone. It's over. Well, that is what investing in this world is like. Investing in this world is like spending money on something you know is going to be obsolete. It's like saying, like, you know what, our company needs more of right now? Fax machines. We need tons and tons of fax machines right now. Why? Nobody uses those anymore. What what you uh, what you do when you invest in the world is you invest in a dying product, and that's why Colossians here would warn us to be careful of those things, or First John would say those things are passing away. But and you can turn back to Colossians now. The other danger of those things, the other danger of the things that are are on earth is that they keep you from seeking what's ultimate. So, so my guess is none of you are saying things like, you know what, life is about high school sports. That is the ultimate aim of all things. My guess is some of these things of the world, they're not what you're making your life about, but they're keeping you from seeking from striving, from setting your mind on the things above for any more than five minutes a day. Uh, let, Let me listen to these things. These things are not bad, but they can keep you from what's best. Things like music, your relationships, social media, grades, how you're viewed on campus things that are not in and of themselves evil, but things that keep us from remembering, wait a second, that's all passing away. I, I'm going to, to heaven one day where I will live forever. I can't be consumed with these lesser things. And student, you do not need to be consumed with those lesser things if you're in Christ. If, if you have followed Jesus Christ and committed to him Uh, what Paul is telling us is to not follow after those things. Okay, so now you're asking, okay, well, what does that actually look like? So you're telling me seeking, you're telling me set my mind on things. What does that seeking look like? What does this setting your mind on the things above look like? Well, let's look, because I actually think the context of Colossians tells us what it looks like to set your mind on things above or to seek the things above. So here, as we look at these verses now, you just ask yourself, what in these verses reveal in me? either my heart that I'm seeking the things above or seeking the things of this world. First of all, Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Okay, you're going to heaven. Seek the things above means put to death what's earthly. What's earthly? Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So if I'm seeking the things above, I cannot be consumed with sexual sin. In fact, if I'm seeking the things above, it's probably best that I don't even make jokes about sexual sin because there are things that are above and eternal and there are things that are earthly on which the wrath of God is coming. I cannot laugh at the sins that will damn people forever. What else? Seeking the things above. Uh, Verse 8 says, But now you must put away Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. I can't be part of what's, what condemned me. We've been talking in Romans 7 how our, our bodies, though we're forgiven of our sin, our bodies are still corrupt, which is why we struggle with sin. Okay, well, then I can't indulge in those things because I'm seeking the things above. I'm leaving behind the things of earth. Seeking the things above is going to look like, verse 12, it's going to look like compassion and kindness and humility. Verse 16, it's going to be about letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let me read that verse again. Let's read Colossians 3.16 again and compare this with your own Private use of time and the time that you spend with friends. Okay, Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you're hanging out with your friends and seeking the things above, it's one long Christian musical. That's not what I want you to take away from that. But if you're seeking the things above, what will that say about your time in the Word versus your time streaming a show, your time on social media? I'm not getting, I don't want to get legalistic in the sense of you need to have this much, this much. I'm just saying, what's your priority? If we're seeking the things above, then, then why is it so hard to teach and encourage other believers and talk about the Word with other believers? But yet, it's so easy to talk about whatever it is that you decide to talk about seeking the things above it's going to mean that the things above are on your lips the things above are going to consume your private time not just your sunday mornings and wednesday nights it's to invest rightly seeking the things above is going to look like a a home life that's aimed towards your heavenly home so verse 18 and 19 talks about how that would affect wives and husbands verse 20 and 21 talks about the way that's going to affect children with parents children who are one practical way to seek the things above you ready is to submit to your father as you're submitting unto your heavenly father to obey your mom who was put there by god obey your parents and everything for this pleases the lord it says verse 20 it's having a mindset not on the things of this world Uh, i mean uh, if you look at the things of this world all you have to go is look at the videos that young people make discussing their parents to realize oh there's a different way that the world talks about parents and that the bible says believers should talk about parents let's look at what else in your time chapter 4 verse 2 continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful thanksgiving at the same time pray for us also that god may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of christ on account of which i am in prison okay what's the seeking the things above? Well, seeking the things above is going to look like sharing the gospel with those who need to be saved because you're invested in eternal things. All right, are, we, uh, are we more likely to try to persuade somebody of our favorite musician or our favorite show versus persuading them to come to know Jesus? Right. It's not, it's not, a, it's not bad to talk about your favorite new movie or anything like that. It's just where are you most invested? What are you seeking what are you most setting your mind on? If you want to summarize the seeking the things above, setting your mind, go to Colossians 1. Because so I think Colossians 1, really, this, this verse has come up a lot recently in some of my discussions. I think this is such a simple statement on the Christian life. If you're wondering, like, what does the Christian life look like? How, how do I know if I'm really living the Christian life? I think Colossians 1, 9 and 10 is a perfect two-verse summary. Okay, Colossians 1.9, it's Paul's prayer. He prays for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and understanding. So the Christian life has to do with your mind. Again, that's verse three or chapter 3, set your mind. I want your mind to be filled with God's will, to know it. Why? Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. What is the motivation of a Christian? Verse nine or 10, to please Christ. When we work through Romans, there's gonna be a a section on what we'd call gray areas, liberties. You know, what kind of movies can I watch? What kind of clothes are appropriate for believers to wear? Uh, What kind of friends should I hang out with? How should I think about you know, one day politics and you know what the, the motivation of a Christian is? What pleases Christ? How do I honor Christ? Hanging out with my friends on a Friday night, what's allowed, what's not allowed? That's not that's not the real question. The question is, what pleases Christ? What honors him? What would bring him the most glory? What would most demonstrate my affections or him that he's the priority? And ultimately, seeking the things above and setting your mind on the things above is saying, I'm not living now for me and what would make me most happy in this life. I'm thinking now about Christ, who I'm going to spend eternity with in the next life. That's what it looks like. Simple question maybe to ask yourself today is, am I seeking to please Christ? Is, is pleasing Christ my motivation whatsoever with my actions? that's what it looks like tangibly to seek the things above here's what i want to do with the rest of our time i want to give you reasons why i want to give you three reasons why to seek the things above and set your mind on the things above from these verses there's other reasons why i could give you outside of the passage but these verses we're back in colossians 3 the verses 1 through 4 these verses i think give us three reasons why We should set our mind toward eternity and be careful that we're not too infatuated, too committed, too tethered down to this earth. Three reasons why for you, believer. Here's what they are. Number one, you should set your mind on things above because, number one, your identity is there. It's because your identity is there. Seek the things above because who you are is above There's a lot of questions today about identity, about figuring out who you are and whom I'm supposed to be and and what you tell others about yourself. And part of that is because it's literally been the plot of every Disney movie for the past 20 years is like, people say I should be this, but I don't feel like that. I'm this there you go there I just spoiled every Disney movie for you by the way I did take a test this morning uh that that is which Encanto character are you so it turns out I'm Camilo um so (laughs) you figure that out for what it is but identity that's not my identity identity well what you find in these verses for the Christian is that your identity is wrapped up in Christ That who you are as you go through the world, okay, am I I a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior? Am I an athlete? Am I a nerd? Am I a a good student? What am I? Who you are primarily is you are in Christ. You belong to Jesus. If then you have been raised up with Christ, uh, seek the things above where Christ is. Verse 3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That you're linked to Jesus that you have a relationship with Christ, that he has ownership of you and you receive blessings from God through him, that you're connected to Christ as your savior, as your master, as your Lord, as one who he calls a friend if you've come to Jesus and repented of your sin. Now listen, this is not true for every single person, right? Jesus is a friend of mine, is not true for every single soul. In fact, um, you could go back one more time to Colossians 1. Colossians 1 tells us what our relationship is like with Christ prior to coming to him. So in our natural state, the way we're all born, verse 21 says, in you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Okay, that, that's the description of, that's the identity of a non-believer. And again, just like for the believer, no identity matters except being in Christ. For the unbeliever, no identity you have, no amount of status you own matters except that you're outside of Christ. What does it say? That you were alienated. That, that means distant, separated. You had no relationship with Jesus. Uh, no good good uh, rapport between the two of you no affection like you were distant from him why because it says you were hostile in mind that is you were aggressively looking for ways to rebel against his rule this is the way the bible talks about sin the bible talks about sin uh, not as like some mistake It's not like Candyland and you landed in the black licorice forest and you're stuck and isn't that sad? No, sin is hostility. It's enmity. It's war. God tells me to live like that, to think like that, to speak like that, to use my possessions like that. I refuse. I will be my own person, my own king. That is the way the Bible sees sin. That's the way God sees you as you are in rebellion against him. The only way to, be, to have peace with God is through Jesus Christ, to be reconciled, that Jesus would, would be your Savior, that you would cry out to him, ask him to forgive you of your sins and submit to him. And as we just heard during first hour, when we do that, he's more than willing to forgive us and to cleanse us from our sin. And when that happens, you are reconciled to God. You are in Christ. You have peace with God. You are beloved by God through the death of his son in your place. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the the identity we have. Look at at chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. And just notice how many times in him comes up, okay? This, by the way, if you're newer with us, this is a good reminder that Christians are not good people who figured life out. We are those who've been rescued by Jesus, and only because our link with Him are we forgiven to have any good things at all. So, chapter 2, verse 9, in Him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You have been filled in Him, who is the head of all and authority. In Him, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That's talking spiritually set apart by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You are buried with Him in baptism. It's you in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That is, you were united with Christ. His death meant the death of your old self. His resurrection guarantees your future resurrection. Notice this, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Your identity, if you're a Christian, is you're a forgiven sinner because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. That is who you are. And you are one who's been guaranteed resurrection in eternity. And so, student, you set your mind on the things above because eternity is, is where you will be the most you you've ever been. You will actually be who you're meant to be if you're in Christ. Now think about what this does. Because Jesus died and rose from the dead and I've trusted in Jesus, this gives security for my eternity. How many of you enjoy flying? Who likes air travel? Who dislikes air travel? Stuffy, maybe you're six foot four with three kids, and so traveling is never easy. That might, might just be me. But you know what you never do is you don't treat the airport like the movie theater. You don't show up ten minutes before takeoff. Uh, can I get five for Idaho, please? And then you go ahead and here's your tickets, right? Because those flights are going to be booked. There's a really good chance that it's not going to be available. Now, the way you, you buy airline tickets is you book them months in advance because then your seat is secured it's there i could see it i'm row you know 7 seat seat d or whatever and and it's locked in i'm there okay student because your life is hidden in christ because jesus is your savior and he says everyone who who follows after me i will be true to rescue them your spot in heaven is secured it's as as, as if you're already there and so don't live for this world because this is not where you're supposed to be heaven is let's look at number two number two you should live for eternity set your mind on the things above seek the things above because your savior is there so your identity is there your savior is there love this verse verse three it says For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And in verse 1, the things that are above, Christ is there, seated at the right hand of God. You know, verse 4 says, Christ is your life. And I think that's true in the sense that uh, primarily I think what Paul is saying here is, is Christ is the reason you have life. You have new life because you're with Jesus. But for the believer, it's also true that to live is Christ. Like Christ is my life. He's not just my Sundays, He's not just my Wednesdays. All of life is about Jesus because I only have life in him. If, if you're a Christian, you you know that you need to turn from your sin. You need to trust in Christ. But Jesus has become your treasure. There, there's something precious and beautiful about Jesus. And the reason why we want heaven is because heaven offers us real satisfaction, satisfaction that this world cannot supply. That satisfaction, Jesus. You get to be with Him. You know what heaven is about? It's not about no more sickness, it's, it's not about no more pain. Um, it's, it's not about the bad stuff going away we read it before we sang this morning it says that they will be his people and he himself will be their god that's what we get to look forward to in heaven this jesus this this perfect person the god man who lived a perfect life died for sin resurrected from the dead has prayed for his believers every day We get to behold him and be with him. That's what he's just saying, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Friends, when we get to heaven, we get to see Jesus face to face. And nothing will separate us from his presence forever. That's why we seek out the things above. Because our Savior is there. Your identity is heaven, so seek the things above. Your Savior is in heaven, so seek the things above. Finally, number three this morning. Seek the things above because your hope is there. Your hope is there. Uh, the thing that, you, hope being expectation, fulfilled expectations. Let's look at verse four. Now when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I, I, like, that, I like that word, appears, I don't know if that one gets the best sense of what it is. Who who has a uh, who has a Nasb? Who has an Nasb in front of him? Uh, McKinney. What does it say? It doesn't say appears. It says when Christ what? Verse four. Oh, who else? You're in the wrong spot. Who else? Yeah, yeah. Revealed. He's revealed, right? I think that's a better word because it's like it's passive. It's not here I appear. It's 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 something that's being done to you. When Christ is revealed, right? What is that talking about? Well, that's that's talking about Jesus coming in glory. Jesus no longer as the injured Savior uh, who, who appeared weak on the cross. But if you read Revelation 1, you see Jesus coming in power and shining a uh, it's similar to what happens with the Mount of Transfiguration. Here uh, you, you see Jesus in all his glory, and all the world is going to see him in all his glory. So Paul looks forward and says, Hey, when Jesus is revealed, when he appears as he is, and all the world sees him, you also will appear with him in glory. Huh. Okay, these are the times, these are passages that sometimes, I've said this before, make me nervous. Because there's a way to use the Bible that's used uh, pretty commonly today that makes this book about us and about how awesome we are. And as we've already said, we are sinful people. This book's not about us. We're not awesome. And yet, this passage talks about Jesus' glory. I'm cool with that. But then we appear with glory. I'm nervous about that. Because I feel like I could press that into making myself seem uh, more awesome than I really am, and so what? What do we do with this? He appears in glory; we appear in glory. Well, there's a relationship in the New Testament between the glorified Christ and His saints being glorified in His likeness. Let me show you this. This is this is helpful. First John, we're going to go to two more verses. We'll be done this morning, so we can abandon Colossians now. Go to 1 John chapter 3. It's going to help us. It's help us understand, okay, what else do I look forward to? I look forward to heaven. I look forward to being who I'm supposed to be. 1 John chapter 3. If you get to 2 John, Third John, Judah, Revelation, you've gone too far. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Is everyone there? Kind of see it. 1 John 3, verse 2. Word of God reads, Beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So for the Christian, there's something about seeing Jesus in all his glory And us being transformed to replicate that glory. We will be like him because we'll see him as he is. Similar language is used in 2 Corinthians 3.18 and 2 Corinthians 4. What is this talking about? Well, Before we do that, we we do see here in verse 3, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, if I know one day I'm going to be changed and purified... Then why am I dabbling with sin now? Right? I don't have to listen to it now. It's going to be gone one day. So why do I walk in sin now if I know in eternity it's going to be gone? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is where we'll end today. 1 Peter 1. Just a just a couple books to the left. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's talk about what this is saying. Verse 13. 1:13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, there's a seriousness in what Peter's saying, set your hope, your expectation, what you're looking forward to, set your hope. Here's what I'm looking for every day. It's, It's not about promotions. It's not about college acceptance letters. It's not about my team getting a dub. It's this. I'm setting my hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ that Jesus is coming back and he's coming for his own and all the world will behold him. And at that time, what you will be shown if you're in Christ is grace. It says there, grace. I want you to think about the ways that God, if, if you're in Jesus, if you've trusted in Christ, has shown you grace, undeserved favor. And that he's chosen you before the foundation of the world. He allowed you to hear the message of the gospel. And his grace, he showed you your sinfulness and caused you to cry out. He's caused your heart to not only believe Jesus, but to love Jesus. His grace has helped you grow. I mean, think about why are you more holy today than you were a year ago? Well, grace. Why do I still believe Jesus when some of my friends don't? Grace, it, God's grace and kindness constantly working in your life. What 1 Peter 1.13 tells us is that there's more grace coming. There's grace that God has for you that you haven't yet experienced. It's the grace of a perfectly transformed life and heart perfectly transformed body that when you die instead of receiving a body fit to receive wrath and punishment forever you will receive grace and you'll be changed and given a body that you might fully enjoy Christ forever with sin no longer in there with that sin no longer a temptation grace. I, I know some of you love Christ. I know many of you do. I know that because you love Jesus, you love serving, you want to obey, you, you seek ways to become more like Christ. And that because you love Christ, I know for many of you, what you hate in your life is your sin. You hate the sin that, though diminishing, still keeps popping up. And though you see yourself loving Jesus more now, you see yourself more sinful than you did a year ago because you realize how often your actions fall short. Set your mind on the things above because when He is revealed, you will be revealed. One day, friends, soon, the fight with sin will be done. And we get to enjoy Christ forever. It's good news. Let's not be distracted, let's not invest poorly. Time is short. We're almost home. Come to know Jesus if you don't. Because his grace. There's more grace now. And there's grace for us forever. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your kindness towards us. So thankful that you've defeated sin. You've forgiven us of our sin. One day you will rescue us from the presence of sin. Oh, Lord, you are so good. Lord, even this passage this morning, the reminder to seek the things above, is such a reminder not of our goodness, but of your goodness towards us. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to seek to be pleasing to Christ. May that be our desire. And Lord, may those here who don't know you realize the mercy and forgiveness you offer in Jesus. Uh, Help us to be faithful, Lord, and pleasing to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.